So go ahead and open your books to Genesis chapter 40. Like I said, I did want to do two chapters today, Genesis 41, 40, 40 and 41. It's in the bulletin. But you know what? There's just too much there. And you know, there's so much there. I mean, we don't want to overlook anything because it's just too valuable to us to skip over. So tonight, maybe, maybe not, we'll have a shorter Bible study as we look through Genesis 40, but don't count on it. You know, uh, Paul, in the book of Philippians, he begins chapter 3 with, finally, my brethren. And then he goes for two more chapters. I mean, it's just in us. But anyway, uh, so you want to remember that at 17 years old, God gives Joseph some really neat dreams and prophecies about his future. Uh, he, 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 he gave him visions about, you know, what he would become, at least in regards to his family. You know, that one day Joseph would be placed in a position of prominence and his family would come before him and bow down to him. And he receives these dreams and visions. And before he knows it, his brothers throw him into a pit. Then some Ishmaelites come by and they sell him to these Ishmaelites. They in turn sell him to Potiphar, uh, captain of the Egyptian guard down in Egypt. And while there, Potiphar's wife attempts to seduce him. And Joseph resists that temptation and he runs. He gets himself out of the situation. And we mentioned last week that, you know, there are some people that think, you know, it is weakness to run from your troubles, right? Running from your problems. But it's not weakness. It's, it's wisdom to run from sin. In running away from Potiphar's wife and, and uh, that temptation that she represented, Joseph protects his reputation. He protects his relationship with God. And, and, and he protects the plan that God has on his life. You know, there's a lot hanging in the balances. Joseph's life, we mentioned uh, last week, is proof that we can say no to sin. And there's much that's hanging in the balance for us when we're confronted with, with temptations. Our reputation is hanging in the balance, right? It, it's in danger of being tarnished if we give in to sin. Our walks with the Lord suffer, right? Sin doesn't affect our sonship but it definitely affects our relationship with the Lord. It places a barrier. It creates this gap between us and the Lord. And our witness suffers along with, with the ministry the Lord has given to us when we give in to uh, temptation. And Joseph handles this temptation very well by removing himself from the situation. And as a result, Somewhat contrary to expectation, he's accused of, of trying to rape Potiphar's wife, and he's sent to prison. Potiphar, he's not really happy with the situation at all. He knows Joseph. He knows what type of man Joseph is. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. He's upright. And he knows his wife. He knows what type of woman she is. And the fact that Potiphar didn't have Joseph killed, you know, gives us some indication that maybe he didn't believe uh, the story, the account that his wife uh, 
you know, offered him uh, of the event. But in order to save face in the light of these accusations that have been made public, Potiphar commits Joseph to prison. And it very well might have been a life sentence. Joseph could have thought, what happened to all those dreams? You know, I thought God had a plan for my life. And now look at me. I'm sold as a slave, right? Falsely accused, um, sentenced to prison. Joseph could have looked at his circumstances and said, you know what? How could anything get worse? This is, this is just about as bad as it gets. But instead, interestingly enough, we don't see Joseph moping around. He's not walking around all defeated and discouraged. His head's not hanging down because of God's favor on Joseph's life. He ends up running this prison that he's committed to in the same way that he was running Potiphar's house. In whatever circumstances that Joseph found himself in, he was faithful in the small things. And that's so very important. We mentioned last week, Joseph was faithful in the small things. And we're to remain faithful in whatever situation God places us in, regardless of whether we understand why God has placed us there or not. God was working in Joseph's life through these difficulties, through these hardships and trials to make him the man the Lord wants him to be, the man that he needs him to be to accomplish the purposes of God, which is the preservation of the Jewish race. And more importantly, the preservation of the bloodline through which the Messiah, the Savior of the world, will enter into the world through. So Genesis 40, verse 1, we pick up the story. It says, it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. To be a butler in ancient times was a very lofty and respected position. I mean, you were close to the king. He was in the presence of Pharaoh almost probably all the time. This butler was very likely the head of the entire household staff of, of Pharaoh's palace. Now the baker, right, he was the baker that made all the pastries and all the sweets for Pharaoh's house. I, you know, my heart goes out to this guy. You know, that's a, that's a beloved profession in my book. I love bakers. But he too, he probably also had a very large staff under him. And both these positions would be very desirable in, in those days. And we read that somehow they offended Pharaoh, but we're not told how they offended him. The root word there translated into the English offended, it speaks of sin. Somehow they had sinned against Pharaoh. The speculation of many is that there may have been an attempt on Pharaoh's life and it wasn't really clear which one of these two guys uh, were involved. So it puts them both in prison until it could be determined through an investigation, maybe, who was responsible for the act. But that's just speculation. I mean, again, we don't actually know what that offense was that landed these two in prison. 
And verse 2 says, And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, possibly Potiphar, in the prison, the palace where Joseph was confined. I mean, they were committed to prison, coincidentally, where Joseph is in charge of that part of the prison. You know, I heard uh, the Jews will say that coincidence is when God wants to be anonymous. You know, I like that saying, you know, because there is no such thing of coincidence for the believer. You know, um, I always cringe when I hear a Christian say, good luck. You know, it's just, you know, it's just a thing because, you know what? There's no such thing as luck in the life of a believer. We're in God's hands, and he's accomplishing his will and purposes in our life. And God has these men in prison where Joseph is for a purpose. Verse 4 says, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them so that they were in custody for a while. The butler and the baker, they're introduced to Joseph and uh, here in prison, and he serves them. God is continuing to teach Joseph to be a servant. You know, as we mentioned last week, verse 5, Then the butler and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were confined to the prison, had a dream. Both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. So these two guys, they each have a dream on the same night. And each dream has a specific interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them. And he saw that they were sad. This, this really speaks a lot to us in regards to Joseph's character. right? He could have used the prison as an excuse to just check out, to just rebel against God. He could have said, if this is the way you're going to treat me, God, put me in this stupid old prison, you know, then I'm, I'm done with serving you. You know, I'm just going to mind my own business, do my own thing, and just get out when it's my time. He could have had a completely negative attitude regarding his situation. But Joseph doesn't do that. That's not the way he is. Joseph understands that when people find out that you're a servant of the Lord God Almighty, when people find out that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, they're watching you. And it doesn't matter where you are if you're a believer or not. Uh, no, it doesn't matter where you are if you're a believer. They're watching you. They're watching you. They want to see if you actually live, if you actually believe the things you say you believe, right? It doesn't matter if the situation God places us in is worthy of me or not, right? A good situation or not, doesn't matter. Because in every situation, good or bad, it's a privilege to serve the Lord. Because in every situation, good or bad, we're called to trust in him. We're to serve him faithfully and we're to bring glory to his name no matter the circumstances that we're, we face in this world. Why? Because he's worthy of that. He's worthy of that. And Joseph could have been in this full-blown pity party. You know, woe is me. He could have said, you know, it's my party. I'll cry if I want to. But he doesn't do that. He's, he's thinking 
and seeing things the way the Lord thinks, the way the Lord sees things. He sees these guys who are looking down and depressed. He sees these guys, they're all sad. And he's sensitive enough to ask them, you know, hey guys, what's going on? Why, why, why such a long face? Joseph is not a guy who's all about himself. His eyes aren't on himself. He's not focused on his problems to the exclusion of others. He has a sensitivity to the Lord in regards to others. And the key of living a life like Jesus, the key of being others-centered like Jesus. Someone said the acronym for joy. Joy is an acronym. Jesus, others, then you. That's the key to a Christ-like life. Putting other people first, putting Jesus first, other people first, and yourself last. And that's where joy enters into our life, a joy unspeakable. In verse 7, so he asked Pharaoh's officer who were with him in the custody of his, of his Lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad? And they said to him, we each have had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. They had these dreams and they had this sense that their dreams are meaningful in some way or another, right? It's just not because, you know, they had something to eat late at night and they, it was unsettling for them. Their dreams, they have the sense, have some significance. And the lack of an interpreter, the lack of one of the magicians or the astrologers uh, to be available to them, well, they're in prison. Of course, they're not available to them. That, that causes these guys to be discouraged and they're downcast. So what does Joseph say to them? Dream means I don't want to hear about any dreams. God gave me dreams a long time ago. And look what it's done for me. You know, God's good at giving dreams, but he's not good at fulfilling them. Do, do yourself a big favor and just forget about your stupid dreams. No, that's not what Joseph says, is it? Right? That might, be what, that might be what you think Joseph would say. You know, we see here such a work of grace in Joseph's life. And it's just like the work of grace God is working in our lives. God keeps alive in Joseph's heart through all these trials, through all these ups and downs, through all these difficulties. He keeps alive all those dreams that God had given Joseph those dreams are going to come true. Joseph doesn't know it right now, but God's keeping that hope alive in his heart. He hasn't read the book of Genesis. We read, they're going to come true. So what does Joseph say? Joseph says to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. He would not say that to the butler and baker if he was still not if he was not still confident that the dreams that God had given him were to come to pass and the interpretations of those dreams were going to come true in his life. Joseph is basically saying here, I believe in dreams. I believe that God gives us dreams and I believe that God keeps the promises that he gives us through those dreams he says, please tell me your dreams, and God will interpret them. Joseph, he has, he has just this 
beautiful confidence in the Lord. And I would ask you today to really think about it, you know, to search your hearts. What's your confidence in? You know, would to God that we would be a people that are marked, that, that we would be a people that would be known by our unshakable confidence in the Lord. Joseph is such an example to us here. And verse 9, then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Joseph's cup, or sorry, then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will, be, uh, you will uh, put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner, when you were his butler. Joseph knows now. Joseph, he knows now that the butler is going to be in Pharaoh's presence within three days. So he says, verse 14, but remember me when it's well with you and please show uh, kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews and also, I've done nothing here that should put me into the dungeon. Joseph tells the butler that he was sold as a slave and he did nothing wrong to land him into prison. And, and you know, when you take the time to look at this story, this is really a touching scene. I mean, Joseph is willing to be faithful to the Lord, to serve the Lord in whatever circumstance or situation that the Lord places him in. But at the same time, he really wants to get out. You know, it's not been easy for him. And he really wants to get out of this prison. So he politely asks the butler, when you get out, will you help me to get out too? You know, I've been wronged and I really want to get out of here. Please, when you see Pharaoh, please tell him, about my story and try to get me out of here too. I mean, to me, it, it's really, really a heartbreaking scene. My heart really goes out to Joseph. I mean, he's just a young kid. I mean, imagine for a moment, if you can, being sold as a slave by your brothers. That's how much they hated him. And standing up for righteousness and then being thrown into prison after being lied about because you did the right thing, right? You took a stand for righteousness. It must have been so hard for Joseph, especially at such a young age. Again, 17 when he was uh, thrown into prison. Now, Joseph could have said, you know what? If God wants me out of prison, he'll do it. He could have had uh, adopted this throw his hands up in the air attitude, this fatalistic view, uh, this fatalistic outlook in, re in, in regards to God. You know, if God wants to get me out, he can, he'll, he'll get me out. 
And it's true. Joseph, he's not going to get out of prison before the Lord lets him out, before the Lord releases him. But that doesn't mean that Joseph shouldn't take every opportunity or, you know, every measure to accomplish what he thinks God's will is for his life. In verse 16, when the chief butler saw the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also uh, was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. So this guy, you know, he's going to be a little disappointed with his interpretation. Spoiler alert, okay? Um, Verse 17, in the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods uh, for Pharaoh, and the birds of the air ate them out of baskets on my head. And the, and the baker heard uh, the butler's encouraging interpretation of his dream. So he's kind of excited. He's kind of, you know, he wants to share his dream with, with Joseph because he's expecting a positive interpretation to come his way. And Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The, ba- the three baskets are three days and you just got to know the The baker's thinking, all right, so far, so good. Then within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you. You Joseph said to the butler, right, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you in three days. But now Joseph says to the baker, Pharaoh will lift off your head in three days. And I can imagine the baker just thinking, that doesn't sound so good. What's going on? Right? And he continues and says that Pharaoh is going to hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Wait a minute, Joseph. That's not a very encouraging interpretation. I mean, that doesn't sound very chipper to me. You know, whatever the crime was, it was a capital crime. And the butler committed this capital crime against Pharaoh, and now he's going to pay for that. And one of the things that uh, about Joseph that is worth noting here is Joseph is just as faithful to tell the interpretation of each dream, right? He knows to the one, the butler, he knows that he would be very excited to hear the interpretation that Joseph has of his dream. And he knows that the baker would not be very happy at all in regards to the interpretation of his dream. But Joseph tells them both the truth. He doesn't candy coat it. He tells them both the truth, regardless of how favorable or unfavorable that message is. You know what? If we're going to speak for God, we have to speak both ways. If we're going to speak for God, we need to speak the truth. We we need to speak the truth just as boldly to those who aren't going to be very happy when they hear our message as we would to those who would be very happy to hear our message. We cannot pick and choose those to whom we're going to or not going to deliver God's message to. We have to speak faithfully all that God gives us and places on our heart. James Montgomery Boyce, he's now with the Lord. He said, 
how many there are who are willing to preach the cupbearer's sermon, the butler's sermon, but are unwilling to preach the baker's sermon. And it's true. Like Joseph, we need to be very faithful in delivering the message that God gives to us, regardless of how likely the person is to receive or to not receive that message. Joseph is very, very faithful to deliver God's message to both of them. Verse 20, Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. So Pharaoh, he invites both of these guys they're released from prison. He invites them to come to his party. Then he restored, verse 21, the chief butler to his butlership again. And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And you know the butler, he must have been thinking, no way. This is exactly the way Joseph told me it would be. Exactly the way Joseph said it would happen. In verse 22, says, but he, Pharaoh, hanged the chief butler as Joseph had interpreted to them. And you know, the butler, he must have been thinking, no way. This is exactly what Joseph told me would happen. So it happened. Three days after Joseph interprets their dreams, and Joseph was probably the one that actually released them from uh, prison because he was the guy that was in charge of that area of the prison. He probably was the one that released them from custody when that order was given. So Joseph knows that part of the dream has come true. And you can imagine, you know, that the word of this party, the word that the butler has been restored to his position and that the baker has been executed, you can imagine that that gets back to the guys that are in prison. It gets back to their fellow prisoners. And that word begins to work its way back into the prison. You know it must have caused Joseph when he heard it to just hope things are about to change. You know, there's going to be a change, right? What would you think was about to happen if you were in Joseph's shoes? You know, I'm sure you'd start to say goodbye to all the inmates. You know, I'm getting out of here pretty soon. Nice knowing you. I'm sure that Joseph begins to feel pretty hopeful. I mean, he's thinking, you know, I'm a short timer. I'm out of here. But what happens? Verse 23, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Joseph is wronged again. For Joseph... It just seems like one gut punch, one body blow after another. You know, every place he goes, it just seems like everything is against him. Everybody he meets, it just seems like they just abuse him and then they forget about him. But there's one who never forgot about Joseph. Or you or and I for that matter, and it's the Lord. He's always faithful. And there's no way he can forget about any of us because you're the apple of his eye, the Bible says. Your name is inscribed in his palms, the Bible says. 
Every time the Lord looks down at his hands and sees those nail prints in his hand, he thinks of you. You individually. Because you are the object of his affection. And through all of this, God is at work making Joseph the man he wants to be. A man that Joseph never dreamt he could possibly be. But it's going to take two more years in that prison. If you were in Joseph's shoes, would you continue to hold on to God's promises for your life? And not just the promises for your life, but the promises for the whole world. That's exactly what God calls each one of us today to do. It's a very, very hard trial that Joseph is in. But again, he's not alone. The Lord is with him like we've read so many times before. And even though things may seem out of control and, and going nowhere from Joseph's perspective, even though Joseph's mind, in Joseph's mind, there seems to be no hope of ever being set free, God is in complete and perfect control of the situation. God is in charge of our lives too. And he's very, very good at what he does. Joseph stays two more years in that prison because he's not ready for what God has for him. He's not ready. Joseph may have thought he was ready, but if he was ready, God would not have had him stay two more years in that prison. God does not allow hardships into our lives unnecessarily. God has reasons for the things he allows to enter into our lives. Joseph may have thought that, you know, 11 years ago I was ready, right? 11 years I've been in this prison. I got to be ready now. I was ready 11 years ago. I got to be ready now after 11 years. But God knows what lays ahead of Joseph. And he knows perfectly well when our character can handle those things that he's preparing each of us for. We, like Joseph, can kick and scratch and scream during the next two years, or we can say, you know, there's no one that is more for me than God. So I'm going to trust in him I'm going to rest in him and surrender to him, surrender to his perfect will for my life because God's plan for my life is amazing. It's so amazing, I must not be ready for it right now. And even though there's been a lot of change in my life these last 11 years, God's still doing a work and I'm not ready for it. I mean, that's the perspective we need to adopt is from heaven. There's another reason that the Lord doesn't release Joseph at this time. The timing's not right. He's the right man 
He's in the right place, but it's not the right time for what God wants to do in Egypt. God is going to give Pharaoh these dreams, and in his perfect timing, he is going to bring about the circumstances that will bring Jacob and his family down into Egypt. Jacob doesn't have any desire at this point at all to go down to Egypt. He has no idea whatsoever uh, that God is working on a plan to protect the bloodline of the Messiah. He has no idea. And you know, if the butler went to Pharaoh and said, you know, I met this guy when I was in prison. He'd, he'd been accused unjustly and they threw him in prison. You know, if he ex explained everything to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, you're right, let's get that guy out. What do you think Joseph is going to do at that time? What, what would you do if you were Joseph and you were let out of prison at the wrong time? Do you think Joseph would hang out and just spend time there in Egypt kicking it? No, there's no way. You know what? There's no way. You would run away just as fast, get out of Egypt as fast as you can. Joseph would run home just as fast as you would. He'd run home so fast, make your head spin. He'd run home to his family as fast as he could. And if Joseph ran home, when Pharaoh gets these dreams, who would be there to interpret them? The butler would say to Pharaoh, you know, two years ago there was this guy, he could interpret dreams, you know, but he's long gone now. We could never find him, you know, even if we wanted to. Well, Pharaoh, I guess you're out of luck. You know what? It's a mystery. God had to keep Joseph in place for the right time. And that's what God is always doing. The right man or woman, the right place at the right time. That's how God's plan unfolds in our life. We can't be in a hurry. We can't be impatient. You know, being in a hurry and being impatient just causes personal problems and discouragement. You know, we need to trust. We need to rest. That's what brings peace into our lives as we trust and rest in the promises he's given us. God couldn't be more for us than, than he is. God is doing a good work in your life, even though it may not seem right now that way to you. And when the thing is revealed that God wants to birth in your life, you know what? You'll praise him and you'll say, man, it was so worth the wait. When God uses Joseph to interpret the dreams of the butler and the baker, he uses Joseph in order to encourage Joseph also. God was saying, I know where you are, Joseph. I see you. I haven't lost track of you. I'm working out my plan for your life. So trust in me. Will you let that encouragement sink into your heart tonight? Will you let that en encourage you tonight? If you're in a place where you wonder if God's forgotten you, God's plan is going to come to pass in your life, just like it's going to come to pass in my life, just like it came to pass in Joseph's life. 
God is at work. You know, my prayer today would be that each of us would open our ears tonight and hear what the Lord is saying and let that encouragement sink deep into your heart tonight that God is at work and he'll bring to pass the promises he has concerning you. You know, I love how David encouraged himself with this very same thing. He, he said to himself, Psalm 138, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. I love that. He just with confidence just verbalizes his trust and faith in the Lord's plan for his life. So be encouraged and stand strong in the will of the Lord for your life. That would be my encouragement to each one of us tonight. Well, as we close, we want to look at Joseph's life as a picture. A picture of Jesus Christ. Last week we saw Joseph was tempted and was without sin. Hebrews 4.15, speaking of Jesus, says, He was in all ways tempted as we are, yet without sin. Last week we saw false accusations that were leveled at Joseph. And it's a picture of Jesus and the false witnesses that, brought, uh, that were brought against him by the religious leaders, the false accusations. Joseph was accused, but there was no defense given. Jesus was placed on trial, and no defense was given at his trial. Do you know why? Well, because he took our place. He took your place, right? He bore your guilt for your sin. He bore my guilt for my sin. And there is no defense given because we are defenseless. Joseph was innocent and sentenced to prison. So too Jesus was sentenced even though he was completely innocent. Even Pilate said three times, I find no fault in him. Joseph suffered at the hands of Gentiles. Jesus also suffered at the hands of Gentiles being scourged and crucified by the Romans. Finally, from last week, we saw that Joseph was given charge of the prisoner by his jailer. He won the respect of his jailer. Jesus also won the respect of his jailer, so to speak, in that the centurion realized and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Tonight, we saw that Joseph was not alone in his place of suffering. He was there specifically with two others, the butler and the baker. And we know Jesus wasn't alone in his suffering. Isaiah 53, 12 says of Jesus that he would be uh, numbered with the transgressors, right? He was crucified with two others. Isn't it interesting that that of the two that, that were with Joseph that we saw in the study tonight, one lived and one perished. It's an Old Testament picture of Jesus who was crucified between two thieves. And as they listened to Jesus' words, as they witnessed the events of his crucifixion, one was saved and the other perished. I mean, it's just such an amazing picture here of Jesus and Joseph's life. With each brush stroke, the picture gets clearer 
It's being painted of Jesus by our Father. If you take a look uh, back to verse 4, Genesis 40, verse 4, it says, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. Joseph was a suffering servant. He was a servant leader. What a picture that is of Jesus. He came as a suffering service, servant in his first coming. Mark 10.45, Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He came to be a servant leader. In John 13, we saw Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, taking the position of the lowest servant as an example to his disciples. You know, it's just another detail of Joseph's life that paints this wonderful picture of a greater than Joseph that will be coming. It's a picture of Jesus the Messiah. Look at verses 4 through 7. It says, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. Both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came to them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with them in the custody of the Lord's house, of his Lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad today? Here we see Joseph's compassion. He takes note of the butler and the baker being sad. And again, it's just this picture of Jesus, right? That's the description that's most awfully, often given regarding Jesus more than any other description in the New Testament, that he was compassionate. He was moved with compassion by the needs of people around him. And we see that in Joseph's, in Joseph's life. Verse 8, and they said to him, we each have had a dream and there's no interpreter for it. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, behold, in my dream, a vine was before me and, and in the vine were three branches and it, it was though it budded, its blossoms shot forth and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it, that the three, day, uh, three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. And Joseph says, but remember me. And does that sound familiar at all? He says, remember me when it's well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. How interesting is it that Joseph would ask one who once again would press the grapes into the cup to remember me. I mean, it's just this amazing picture of communion, right? We place the juice into the cup, and as often as we do it, Jesus asks us to remember him. Verse 20, now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head 
of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Here we see Joseph was given knowledge by God of the future. Jesus said over and over again that his words were not his own, but they were given to him by God the Father. On one occasion, Jesus said, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And God gave Jesus knowledge concerning the future. He spoke of his crucifixion before it came to pass. He spoke of the disciples abandoning him. Spoke of Peter's denial all before it came to pass. He spoke of the end times, Matthew 24 and 25. And undoubtedly, I mean, you read Matthew 24, 25. I mean, it sounds an awful lot like the day, the times in which we're living. Just as Joseph's words came true, just as he spoke them, so too Jesus' words come true. On one occasion, one of his disciples, one of the disciples spoke to Jesus about the beautiful buildings there in the temple area. And Jesus said, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. He spoke not only of the destruction of the temple, but also the destruction of Jerusalem. Luke 13, 33, uh, yeah, 33, 34, I think it is. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her, her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And it happened just as Jesus said, 70 A.D., when the Roman general Titus surrounded Jerusalem with the 5th, the 12th, the 15th, and the 10th Roman legions, and they destroyed Jerusalem. They were told to spare the temple, but somehow it was set on fire, and that fire melted the gold, and it caused that gold to seep down into the cracks between the stones. So they threw down the stones, just as Jesus said, in order to get to the gold that seeped in the cracks. You know what? We're going to go next year. We're going to see those stones thrown this year. We're going to see those stones thrown, pushed over the edge of the temple. They're just in a big heap right there. So wonderful. As far as the destruction of Jerusalem and being desolate, Josephus tells us that 1.1 million Jews were murdered during that siege that destroyed Jerusalem. They were murdered by Titus and his forces. Over and over again, we see Jesus speaking of the future. And it comes to pass exactly as he says. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, 
I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know, I hope you take comfort in the fact that Jesus has said this, that he's given you this promise that one day, one day very soon, I believe, he's coming again for his bride. He's coming again for his church. But more specifically, he's coming again for you. The four yous that I read in those verses are you singular. It's not you, a group. It's you, singular. He's coming for you, Sandy. He's coming for you, Lee. He's coming for you, Brian. He's coming for me. <laughs> That's the best of all the news. He's coming for me. Oh, what love. I mean, just thinking about it just causes me to break down. He loves me so much. He loves you so much. Our home is in heaven. He's coming for us individually so that we may be where he is. That's his heart's desire. We're just passing through this world. Yes, there are trials and there are troubles and there are tribulations. It's true. And God is using all of them to prepare us for future ministries. He's developing our character so that we'll be able to handle the future things that he has for us. But he's also, through those trials, through those tribulations and through those troubles, he's also preparing us for heaven. You know what? These trials make us long for heaven, don't they? Man, I can't wait. I can't wait to be in heaven. And he's been preparing heaven for us. And he's preparing us for heaven. He's preparing heaven for us for the last 2,000 years. And Jesus said it would be and it will be. It is a reality. The day will come when he comes for us. Jesus also said, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Exactly as Jesus said, so his words will be fulfilled. And if you don't have the Son, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you've never placed your faith in him, then the wrath of God abides on you. And that verse is fulfilled tonight. It's a hard message. It's a hard message. It's hard to tell people that. That the wrath of God abides upon them. But I can't shy away from telling people just because it's a difficult message to hear. It's the truth and people need to know it. It's the truth. If you don't know the Lord tonight, what you need to do is you need to flee from that wrath and give your life to the Messiah tonight. You need to surrender to the one who has absorbed the fiery wrath of God's righteous indignation that you deserve. You can escape the penalty of your sin if you'll humble yourself and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from your sins. You know, it's interesting to see that exactly as Joseph spoke, things came to pass. It's a picture of Jesus and the things 
coming to pass exactly as he has spoken. And Jesus has spoken about a coming judgment. It's going to happen. We all will stand before a righteous God and give an account for our lives, the Bible says. Well, finally, verse 23, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Joseph was let down by men. He was betrayed by his family. He was let down by his employer, so to speak, Potiphar, right? Now he's being let down by the very one who he ministered to. What a picture that is of how men will fail us, but there's one who will never fail us, one who is always faithful, one who is there for us every time we need him, one who is always ready to receive us and help us when we run to him, right? It's the one who gave his life as a ransom for us that we might be saved by placing our faith in him. It's Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. He's the Savior of the world. Boy, I'm so thankful that he's saved me. And that salvation is available to whoever desires it. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful for your word. I just, it's encouraging to me. Lord, I just pray that it would wash over us and it would accomplish eternal purposes in our lives, that your word would just reveal to us where we're at with that relationship with you, where we're at in, in light of the cross, where our confidence is. Lord, if it's in you or if our eyes are fixed on circumstances, Lord, God, you're worthy of our eyes being fixed on you. You're worthy of our, our love and devotion. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our service, no matter what the situation is, because, Lord, you gave yourself that we might be saved. You took our sin. You took our penalty. Lord, I just pray for anybody that's watching tonight that maybe their heart is being stirred to ask you to come into their life to forgive you of your sins. Lord, I pray you give them courage. I pray that you give them courage to pray a prayer something like, Father, forgive me for my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. and I'm sorry. I want to repent. I want to turn from my sin and turn to you. Will you come into my life? Will you cleanse me of my sins? Will you give me the Holy Spirit to enable me to walk with you? And Lord, I just pray you would meet them as they pray that prayer. You'd encourage them, Lord. For our brothers and sisters here tonight, Lord, bless them. Bless Calvary Chapel. Truck you, Lord. We give you praise. We give you glory. In your name, amen.